What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. Hopefully, I'm just kidding, not hopefully, because I know that my microphone is better this time, <laughs> made sure it was connected, so won't have the same problem as last time, even though most people said it wasn't that bad. But to me, it was a fucking nightmare of anxiety of wanting to quit and delete the whole podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> Today we are going to be talking about something that's been pretty a pretty popular topic on our Instagram especially um probably other places too I'm sure but I'm just always on the Instagram kind of we're going to be talking about cases where missing men end up dead in water because it seems to be happening a lot lately but then when you look into it it's really been going on for a while so we're going to go over some cases where this has happened, and then we're going to do kind of like a two-part episode, but not really. Like, we're going to go over all the cases in this episode, and then in the second episode, we're going to go over the whole idea of the smiley face killer and kind of like theories behind that. So this episode will be the cases, and then the next episode will be the idea behind the smiley face killer and all that. And also in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the missing, now found, Claire children. So there was missing Noah Claire and Amber Claire, who were abducted by their family member, Jacob Claire. And it was a big to-do. A lot of you were really interested in it, but it was also it's also a little confusing. So a lot of you wanted us to kind of break it all down. So we're going to do that in this episode as well. Well, a very tangled web that one. It's lots going on. Yeah, a lot of infusion. So yeah, we'll we'll try to make sense of some of it. So I guess we're just gonna get right into some of the missing men in water cases. I couldn't get to him fast enough. It's hard to think about somebody hurting your child, but I think someone hurt him. It's like it happened yesterday for me. What if it just just rip your heart out? Men have been found drowned in clusters around the country. We've been investigating for the last 12 years. If he was heading home and heading that direction, the $50 million question is, how did he get in the water? This is where the dogs lost the scent. They lost hot scent right here, Avon. All classified as accidental or undetermined. When the numbers start to add and you just, you see it, something's not right. So there is a pattern that's been growing. It doesn't make any sense to me. He was a champion swimmer in high school. Nobody believes it was an accident. Nobody. So we decided to cover this, do this episode because weekly, sometimes even almost daily, we seem to get messages or read an article about a missing man who has gone missing either from a bar or, you know, after a night out with his friends or from a party and that, you know, the searches are being conducted along rivers and lakes. And usually, you know, the majority of the time, these men are often found deceased in that waterway, sometimes days, sometimes months later. It seems to be like this crazy phenomenon that keeps happening. And every time we post one, someone's like, what is this happening again? What is going on? It just seems like it happens all the time lately. It happens enough where when we post one, we get tons of messages from people being like, oh my God, again, or like another one. Another so one. Definitely yeah. enough where we're not the only ones who have noticed this. And, you know, if, so, if, if we post about a missing guy, we'll often get messages too along the lines of, geez, I hope he doesn't live near a river. And it just always seems that, like, it, it's a lot. I don't know. Obviously, we don't know the percentage, but there's a lot, a lot of cases that end up this way. It's so, a reoccurring theme, it seems. Yeah, it's a definitely reoccurring theme. 
There does seem to be a few kind of hotspot areas and we'll get messages about that too. And people are like, this always happens in Boston. It always happens in Chicago. And I've also seen it happen a lot in Wisconsin and Minnesota. I don't know entirely, you know, the reason for this. I know that Stephanie said that there's a lot of bars and waterways in Boston, which probably accounts for a lot of those ones. We will go into it a bit more at the end in terms of theories about why this happens, but I guess it has to do with a lot of uh, weather-related events as well, very cold places. This seems to happen a lot where they fall into a freezing cold river and can't get out. Yeah. But there definitely seems to be some hotspot areas. We're going to run through some of the cases today. Uh, one of the men we're going to speak about is still missing, but the others have been recovered in waterways. Uh, we're going to go through them chronologically just because it might be easiest to keep track that way. We'll start with the earliest missing first, and then we'll talk about the most recent at the end. So the cases we're going to talk about today are Christopher Jenkins, Zachary Ma, Dakota James, Jelani Day, Dakota Bingham, and Brendan Santo. So we'll start with Christopher. His case is one of the first that I can remember when I started to get into true crime. This was all the way back in 2002, which when I looked up the date, I couldn't believe it. Just year, decades ago now, that's a bit scary. So it was Halloween night, 2002 in Minneapolis. Christopher Jenkins was 21. He left a party in his Native American Indian costume. There's photos of him online. They're very final image-ish. He's like, you know, you can see him at the party with his arm around these two girls who are also dressed up. He just looks like he's wearing a normal brown, you know, cheap polyester costume. He left a party um, and went in his costume to the Lone Tree Bar and Grill in downtown Minneapolis. He was kicked out of the bar a few hours later and they pushed him out into the night wearing only his costume in 20 degree weather. When Christopher did not re return home, his family became worried pretty quickly. They worked with police to search for him. On two separate occasions, bloodhounds tracked his scent from a pizza shop across the street from a bar to the parking garage near the bar. Drops of blood were also found in the garage, but his scent ended there. Four months after he disappeared, Christopher's body was found floating on his back in the Mississippi River. Police quickly wanted to rule the death an accident, but his family firmly did not believe this was the case. First of all, Christopher was found floating on his back with his arms folded across his chest. His oversized shoes were still on and his shirt was still tucked into his pants. So you wouldn't really think that this would be the case if Christopher had accidentally fallen in. You would have thought he would have been more kind of disheveled if he was swimming for his life and trying to get out of the river. You know, he wouldn't be found with all his clothing kind of tucked in neatly. Yeah. And also because he'd been in the water for months by that point, you would also think that, you know, his shoes probably would have come off. His shirt might have been at least untucked. It's very strange. Yeah, it's weird. Reports also say that Christopher had human hair clenched into his left hand and that when they did toxicology, GHB, which is the date rape drug, was also found in his system. So after the, you know, all these findings were released, police reclassified Chris's case as a homicide and they apologised to his parents. So this was back in 2002. In 2018, the Hennepin County Attorney's Office announced that they would not be pursuing charges against a suspect who they say allegedly threw Chris to his death from a bridge. The county attorney office said that the, they determined the case is not chargeable at this time, and they, that was in a written statement they made. The case was being returned to police for further investigation, but as of November 2021, I can't find any information on the suspect, and there hasn't been any charges laid as far as I can tell. Are they saying someone 
definitely did push him from a bridge like it's, it's kind of confusing it's very strange like there's actually not a whole lot of information but it sounds like they're pretty certain that chris was thrown from a bridge to his death um i don't know who or why like i'm assuming he got into an altercation with someone but for some reason they like it was, it's just all very vague bits of information in regards to that case like there's just no real it seems like they're not like releasing information on purpose for some reason yeah <laughs> but it's like if he had GHB in his system and he got kicked out of the bar for probably being too drunk, like if you're drinking with GHB in your system, you're going to be super fucked up. I yeah. don't know if he was at like a college party or what kind of thing he was at before he went to the bar. But I know back in the day, I guess, or just like I've always heard that at college parties, you know, sometimes people put drugs in like the jungle juice that everyone drinks out of. So maybe it was something like that. But it is weird that they're willing to say, like, that he was probably thrown from a bridge, but we're not going to really look into it much. Yeah, it's it's just like, even when I was trying to research Chris's episode, there's a lot of kind of, and it's the same with a lot of these cases, there's a lot of varying information. Like some of the blogs and articles I read argue that even though he had GHB in, your, in his system, apparently your body can also produce GHB, which I don't know, I guess it depends on the levels in your body and different things like that. And then there was another case um, of a man who left the same bar where Chris was. It was a few months earlier and that he had a drink and he was very sick. So obviously he was drugged and that some men tried to put him in a car. So, you know, there's all these kind of insinuations that this bar may have been the place where shady things were happening. Um, But there's just no real, and I guess, you know, now it's 20 years on from Chris's case. So it's probably sadly been kind of left in the cold case pile for a lot of years now so how i don't know how focused they would still be on finding the killer or prosecuting the killer but it's just a very it seems like that they just said they weren't going to and we're done with it Hmm. basically they've pounded off to police and said now it's your job so yeah there's nothing like when i was researching there's no updates the you know most recent update was 2020 where it's just a blog post um before that it's 2018 where the case was handed back so Sarah Jenkins, who's Chris's sister, said, I wish every day I could go back to that naive place in the world where life was so simple, where people were inherently good, where the sun shined just a bit brighter. It's not simple. There are really bad people out there and they do really bad things. So that's basically the majority of information in Chris's case at this stage. And he was the earliest one that we're going to cover today. Just the phrase like the case is not chargeable at this time. It's like Mm. a weird thing to say. Very strange. I guess. I don't know. I guess there's a multitude of reasons why that could be, but we don't know yet. Well, it makes it seem like if they just don't know who the suspect is, that's one thing. But it's like, do they know who the suspect is? That's like the mystery to me. So the next one we're going to talk about is Zachary Marr. He went missing in Boston on February 13th, 2016. He was last seen at the Bell and Hand Tavern near Faneuil Hall. And we were just talking about, I actually been there i go to boston a good amount and i've been to the bell and hand tavern so if i had any insight i will but i don't really know what insight it'll add just hand insight (laughs) yeah um it's a bar and it's in boston so (laughs) um he lived in harvard massachusetts and was a student at mount wachusett community college and he'd taken the train into the city to celebrate his birthday with his three cousins. The group was from the Leominster area of central Massachusetts, and none of them were too familiar with Boston, I guess. Zach's father, Matthew, dropped Zach off at the train station. His cousin, Amanda, 
picked him up at around 6 p.m. from the North Station. So according to the Boston Globe on February 16th, says the two drove back to their to her apartment in South Boston where she prepared dinner for him, chicken, chips, guacamole, and hummus. She said they had a drink before leaving to go to the Bell in Hand at about 10 p.m. Around 1.30 a.m., Zach sent Amanda a text that he was going out to smoke a cigarette, something he'd done several times throughout the night. He was seen on surveillance around 1.40 a.m., standing outside the Boston Public Market across the street from the tavern. It was a weekend that saw record cold temperatures of nine below, but Zach, he was only wearing like a pullover sweatshirt. He left his, he had a coat, but he left it in the coat check at the bar. So he was only wearing a sweatshirt when he was outside. Um, his cousin Amanda said, he sent me a Snapchat saying, they're not letting him back in. Let's leave. And she said, I texted him and said, where are you? And he said, out front. And that was at 1.41 a.m. So one of the released surveillance images does show him out front of the market around 1.44 a.m. But after Amanda and the group of them got their coats and went outside, he was gone. So it was only a matter of a couple minutes. She said, I was trying to stay calm. She hoped that he'd just gone for a walk or maybe run into a friend or met a woman and that she'd hear from him later that day, but he didn't turn up. So video from the bell in hand shows other customers leaving and reentering after 1.20 a.m. And management have said Zach wouldn't have been denied access. There's also other footage of Zach outside the bar heading towards the surface artery. The Boston Globes reported that additional surveillance video shows Zach on a walkway, then walking on train tracks before disappearing into the river underneath Leonard P. Zachum Bunker Hill Memorial Bridge. Mouthful. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> bridge name. Um, a month later, on March 15th, two people walking by spotted a body in the locks at Paul Revere Park in the Leverett Circle area around 5.45 p.m. And it was Zach, so they had discovered his remains. Preliminary evidence indicated that his death is consistent with a fall into very cold water. The Suffolk County District Attorney's Office later added that he did not appear to suffer any trauma. Investigators said there is no signs of foul play. Even though this happened in 2016, we haven't been able to find like an autopsy report or any confirmed cause of death for him, really. I don't know if just not easily accessible records, but... We yeah, haven't that, been able to find that. There doesn't seem to have been really any articles or updates for Zach since 2016. Like 2016, there's titles like Zach's death was a horrible accident. His family says, um, you know, there's basically nothing. Obviously, they I'm sure they know the cause of death now and they just haven't chosen to make it public, which is understandable. Yeah. Like we were saying before, a lot of people messaged us about Boston specifically where this happens a lot. And, you know, I've been to Boston a few times and kind of like the main touristy area where Faneuil Hall is and a lot of the bars and a lot of the tourist spots. A lot of it is right on the water. But even like where Bell in Hand is, it's still a decent walk to get to the water. But it's not it's not like a long, long, long walk like I've done it. But it's not like it's right there on the water. Yeah, like the bars but, on the waterfront or anything like that. Yeah. It just makes me wonder because this doesn't happen with girls as much. But I feel like I was thinking about it, and I feel like guys are much more willing to walk around at night alone than girls are. Yeah. So I feel like girls generally try to, like, stick with their friends or will wait right outside, whereas guys aren't as fearful of wandering off. I feel like that could be why it happens to guys more so. 
but I don't really know how he would have ended up in the water exactly, but just imagine it was just wandering off. I guess my thinking is that maybe because he obviously knew that his, or, you know, he should have known that his cousin and all that were coming out to meet him. So maybe he thought, I'm just going to sneak off and pee really quick. Then he wandered and, you know, he wandered until he could got find lost. somewhere dark. Yeah, either got lost or until he could find somewhere kind of dark enough to pee, not totally in public. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, but I guess it is easy when, you know, you turn down one street, another street, and then all of a sudden you're like, where am I? And just keep walking. Especially and... around there, it gets confusing. There's like a lot of little small roads and it's easy to get turned around there. Like I think in a lot of these cases, often the family thinks that it may not have been an accident and that there was something more. And in Chris Jenkins' case, that did prove to be true. But I think in Zachary's case, I do think this was just a case of him being drunk and, yeah, like we said, getting lost or having an accident. There's a woman called, I think her name is Deborah Drummy. She was or is um, Zachary's father's girlfriend. So I'm, you know, a similar stepmother figure to Zachary. She said that it was a perfect storm of factors that led to his death. Cold weather, drinking, being out in the cold, that takes a huge toll on the human body. It was really, honestly, a horrible, horrible, horrible accident. So I really, I feel like in Zach's case, his family also believed that's what happened. It was just wrong place at the wrong time for him. Yeah. I just looked up like the actual walking distance from the Bell in Hand Tavern to kind of where the main bulk of the water is in Boston. And it's like a nine minute walk. So yeah, not too bad. Yeah. So he if he went off to pee and then kind of got a little lost or confused where he was, it's not like so unbelievable that he could have wound up over there. But it's not like the water was like right outside and he just fell in either. Yeah. I guess too, you, you don't even know what was going through his frame of mind. Like he might have been pissed off about not being allowed back into the bar. He might have been. That's what I was wondering too. Yeah, because like how... maybe, maybe he's like, fuck you, I'm just going to walk and, you know, I'm leaving now. Like, you know, I guess if you, you know, lots, a lot of the time drunk people get quite agitated as well. So Yeah, because especially how the bar management said they, they wouldn't have denied him access. Because yeah. even when I was there, it seems like the type of place where people get pretty drunk at it and it's okay. Like it's very big and has like a big dancing hall area so even when i was reading i was like it's weird that they wouldn't let him back in especially if it was so cold out yeah um like at least to like get home yeah so it's like makes me wonder if maybe he thought he wasn't allowed back in and like he had some sort of altercation with someone who didn't actually like work at the bar or something like that and then was just annoyed like you said there's so many questions really like with all of these that it's hard to say and I guess, too, because there's no further social media after his Snapchats, we don't really know what he was thinking. Like, it doesn't sound like he texted them to say, I'm going to pee, I'm going here. He just left. Yeah. So the next case that we're going to talk about was quite a high-profile one at the time. It's about a man called Dakota James. He was um, went missing on Wednesday, January 25th in 2017. He was last seen leaving his friends after a night out on Liberty Ave- Avenue in Pittsburgh, and he was headed for his home apparently on the north side. There is a photo of Dakota that they've released, which we think is the last known photo of him alive. He's kind of seen, he's got his head down, looks like maybe he's looking at his phone or he's, I don't know, he's just kind of walking. Got looks his like back. he's looking at his phone would be Yeah, it looks like it. Like there's no one else around. It's kind of dark. But he's walking through the cultural district as he walked through Cat's Plaza and down an alley. His mother, Pam, has said of the time, I knew he had plans for the weekend the last time I talked to him. He was upbeat, getting ready to start his new set of college classes. He'd just gotten a raise and just gotten a bonus. Good day. Yeah, he had a great – everything was going right for him, it seems. Until? Until this. So 
It's thought that after Dakota left his friends, he went down some steps from the Clemente Bridge to urinate along the Allegheny River. Dakota's case has been covered in a special on oxygen called The Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice. And some of this information comes from that. That said, Dakota was walking back to his apartment after a night out drinking with friends and co-workers. He never made it home. The footage captured Dakota entering a dark alley, and that was the last time he was seen alive. The Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zapala said the evidence indicates he may have fallen into the water, and that time of year with the water temperature, you only have a couple of minutes before you go into shock, and that's that. Dakota's family reported him missing the following day when, he, when they couldn't get in touch with him and when he didn't show up for work, but police did not accept their missing person report for five days. When Pam got the call that her son was missing, she said she knew immediately that something was really wrong. I thought Dakota was in trouble. I never would believe that he'd walk across the river and go down to pee and fall in. I just knew that something had happened. I honestly believed that Dakota was picked up when he came out of the alley. So when police finally accepted the missing persons report, they began searching and his family also hired a private investigator. Pam and her husband, Jeff, moved to Pittsburgh to run the search for Dakota. During the searches, Pam learned something from Dakota's friends. She said he possibly was drugged and someone tried to abduct him six weeks before. There's a retired New York City police detective, Kevin Gannon, who we'll speak a lot about in this episode. Um, he thinks that also that Dakota was drugged again the night he disappeared. He said, I believe he was drugged like all of our other victims. And when he says other victims, he's referring to smiley face killer victims. I believe he was drugged like all our other victims, abducted off the street, held for a period of time before they killed him and then placed him in the water. 40 days after he disappeared, Dakota's body was found in the Ohio River on March 6, 2017. Investigators believe that Dakota's body travelled through a dam for over 10 miles before it was discovered. The medical examiner ruled Dakota's death as an accidental drowning. Dakota was an athlete and swim team captain, and his family do not believe he could have drowned. This is what I mean. This case to me, I said to Stephanie earlier, is so similar to Jelani Days in terms of you know these type yeah. of details, which we'll go into in detail as well soon. They told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in 2017 that Dakota was not an inexperienced drinker and that there is no way he would have been so intoxicated that he accidentally fell into the water. There's some more info from the Oxygen Special, which goes into detail about Dakota's body and the state of his remains when they were found. It said, James's body, however, had no visible damage, which was highly suspicious because it had traveled through heavily trafficked river. A smiley face was found spray painted on an underpass near where James's body was discovered. His mum, Pam, spoke to Oxygen again and said, it doesn't make any sense to me. It never has. Once we learned that the case was closed, it was very disappointing. I don't feel that they ever wanted to look further into the possibility that there could be foul play. I know 100% in my heart that someone did something to Dakota. So they, in the Oxygen special, they also kind of examined Dakota's autopsy report with a you know, third-party pathologist, Dr. Cyril Wecht. Do you remember him from the Aunt Diane stuff? Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of a famous, um, I'm assuming a medical examiner or pathologist, and he always often comes in to do secondary autopsies and dispute the findings of autopsies in kind of high-profile cases. He's the one that has a show. I think he did have a show at one point. Yeah, I think so too. He's definitely quite well known in the autopsy world. (laughs) I feel like he had a show like literally called Autopsy or something (laughs) where he just talked about them. Yeah. So the hosts of the Oxygen special were Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte and their team. They were able to review official police reports along with Dakota's autopsy and the photos taken at the scene and of the body. In one of the photos on Dakota's 
neck, that, uh, Kevin Gannon noted that there were suspicious marks which hadn't been written anywhere in the autopsy report. Gannon and Dr. Gilbertson brought the documents to Cyril Weck to see if he could kind of work out what the injuries were. Cyril Weck said that the marks were strongly suggestive of and entirely consistent with a ligature having been applied around the neck. This death may have also been due to ligature strangulation. Dr. Wecht also noted a distinct difference in the coloration of the fingernail beds of the fourth and fifth fingers on, the bo- on both the right and left hands, which would certainly be consistent with someone reaching up and trying to release the pressure from a ligature that's been applied around the neck. So they're, I guess they're you know, saying that Dakota had these marks because he's pulling for all his life to try and get the ligature away so he can breathe. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wecht also said there was no internal damage to the neck structure as reported in the autopsy report, so I'm not able to say that he was strangled, but there was something around the neck. Dr. Wecht also spoke about the condition of Dakota's body. He said there was very little decomposition internally and externally. It does not look like a body that has been in the river for seven weeks. His mother also kind of believes that theory and said there was no scratch marks on Dakota's face or hands and she said there is no way a body could travel 10 miles through a dam for 40 days and be that pristine it's impossible I've seen hundreds of these cases and I'm telling you it doesn't make sense so there's some talk about how the river where Dakota was found is kind of they quote violent that there should have essentially been some marks. And Dr. Weck said there is nothing at all on the body to suggest he's gone through a dam. Pam said his body wasn't swollen at all. He couldn't have been in the water for 40 days, which you would expect absolutely after 40 days. There would be horrendous bloating and swelling and skin slippage and things like like that. I don't disagree with the fact that there should be like damage to the body, but I feel like they're not, or they're just disregarding the fact, or not talking about the fact anyways, that this was... In January in Pittsburgh, and the water's super, 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 super cold. Yeah, like icy so, cold. So, like, would your body be frozen? Like, mm. does does that make a difference in anything? I don't know, because I'm not a pathologist, but just, like, my thinking is, if you're in water that's super cold, like, I feel like that would preserve your body better, as opposed to where with, like, Jelani, he went missing when it was warm or hot out, and they said that that played a factor in kind of how deteriorated his body was, because it was warm water. Yeah. And also, like, you don't even know, I know he was in the water for 40 days, but maybe he was, say, let's say, stuck under a branch, which would have kind of protected him from the rushing violent river for a long time. Like, there could be, I guess, you know, obviously I'd like to know more exactly about the condition of the body, but... I feel like there probably would be some explanation for it. Yeah, and I always kind of, not to say that I feel like all the pathologists who give like second opinions are lying, but obviously I don't think that, but I always just kind of take sometimes what they say with a grain of salt because like, they're working for they're the being family asked, as well. Yeah, usually for the family. And also, especially like if it's the guy with like a TV show or something, yeah. like, it just brings more attention to their name to say something like controversial. Yeah. Whereas like, sure he had blood in his fingertips or whatever and even he says he's like well it could be this yeah but there's not enough information to say that's definitely that so but just even him saying it could be that like it could be he was strangled or something just think of all the clickbait that just comes from that yeah was dakota strangled and you know marks on his neck and things like that yeah like pathologist says dakota possibly strangled like mm. of course you're gonna be like what it's beeping at you i live in such an annoying area <laughs> mm-hmm. So the Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zapala thinks he probably has an explanation for the marks around the neck, and he said that it was dried blood that would have washed off during the autopsy. 
He said, there are two pictures, one of where blood came out of the nose and mouth and pulled around the neck. The second is a, the second set of pictures where the neck is clean and there's no marks is because basically that it was washed away. Uh, Dakota's mum doesn't believe that. She said, you tell me if he was in the river for 40 days, how doesn't that wash off? He comes out of the river and has ligature marks and you take him to the medical examiner's office and they wash off. Dried blood doesn't stay on you when you're in the water for 40 days. I don't believe that. I absolutely don't believe that. But I feel like that's kind of missing the point because he, I'm sure he didn't, he had still blood in his body when they recovered him. So he could have bled. Yeah. Like I feel like it, the blood wouldn't have been dried when he was in the river. This would have been bleeding that happened after they took yeah, him to the like, medical examiner's office. Especially if his body was like frozen yeah. and then taken out. But I know we've talked about this before, how the family, it's they don't want to accept that this is how their loved one died over something so simple as falling into water and drowning. And also like, like it's easier for them to believe something terrible happened to them because yeah. even if someone came to me one day i live across the street from a creek which now now i have a fear of my boyfriend falling into but like if someone said to me one day like your boyfriend he fell in the creek and died i'd be like what absolutely no fucking way i wouldn't believe it either yeah i know it's crazy and i also think too that it's easier for families to believe that someone did this rather than their children you know in this case it's sons did it to themselves and i know i'm not implying this it was a suicide but if he did fall into the river while he was peeing or whatever reason, that is of his own hand, essentially. Like, I think that that's the last thing you'd want to believe, that it was something that could have so easily been stopped. Yeah. How easy it, how, like, fleeting life is, really. Yeah. Like, how easy it is to just, like, like, like we were saying last episode, you go to a concert and you die. Yeah. That's scary to people. Like, people would rather have some sort of Control. explanation for it yeah. it was a satanic energy harvesting <laughs> thing like people would <laughs> rather believe that than just believe what actually happened and i do feel like in these cases you would feel so out of control if this was your own child you would just feel so lost and so having something to focus on is probably yeah. a way of grieving easier. as well yeah yeah it's easier to have something to focus on that versus just dealing with how awful it is so unfortunately they couldn't actually do a second autopsy on dakota they just had to go off photos and reports because his family had him cremated um so there's no way to do another investigation pam said of that now i regret all that i trusted the system and now i have to live with the regret of that officially the allegheny county district attorney's office have said this is a homicide it's an open file but it's not being treated as a criminal homicide in other words, there is no active investigation unless new evidence is found that the medical examiner's office, Dakota's death, remains listed as an accidental drowning. And Sarah Wecht has said, at the very least, it should have been and should be today listed as undetermined. Yeah, I think that would make more sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess it would. But if he did, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I know it's Especially like, of- how are you going to leave the investigation open when it's an accidental drowning like if it was undetermined then at least it would give more reason to like leave it open yeah um the most recent article i can find on dakota's death is from january this year uh pamela like the family are still looking for answers for him pamela said we know someone took dakota's life and yes we will continue to fight to find answers it's never going to bring my son back i know that but i don't want my son's name going down in history as that drunk kid who walked down the alley and walked across the river and drowned because he didn't do it that's like exactly what we were just saying like yeah. she just said it you know, and I like I 
I obviously don't get it because I haven't been in this situation, but I understand why this is the, you know, path that she's going down. This gives her something to focus on, justice for her son, you know, and I guess uh, who, who maybe it could have been something more, but, you know, the likelihood is it was probably an accident. That's my view anyway. Yeah, I agree. And like, yeah, I'm not trying to say she's wrong for thinking that way. Like you said, like, I understand why she feels that way because it's the easier thing to feel. But also just like the fear of what if something did happen? Like you don't know that something didn't happen. And then imagine something did happen and you just accept it for a drowning. You like feel like you're failing the person. Yeah, exactly. And I guess, you know, you want to try and rule out every possibility and they essentially can't do that now because they can't do more investigation on the body. No one, there's no suspect. So there's just no, this is what happens when there's no real closure, I guess. I guess it's kind of a little bit similar to having someone be missing in your family because when someone is missing, even if you know the likelihood for whatever reason is that they are probably deceased, there might still be that little bit of hope that they're alive. And in this case, I guess for her, there's always going to be that bit of, I don't know if hope's the right word, but it's you can't ever prove that this was an accident or that this was a murder, you know, until they either find someone who is yeah. responsible or have some more information. There's always that little bit of... There's always that what if. Yeah, what if and the possibility that this was a murder or something else. Yeah. I do find it interesting that they said he was drugged before. Oh, yeah. I totally um, forgot about that in the midst uh, of, like, what? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that is super unlikely i don't know like maybe for it to happen once or for it to happen twice twice in six weeks is very quick like who was that determined to drug him and why yeah and yeah i don't know like i'd love to know more about the night he left with his friends and how he was acting and how you know apparently drunk he was and things like that so it's just an interesting case um or just more info about the alleged drugging mm, incident yeah a lot of mystery so that's it for dakota james's case still kind of up in the air according to his family yeah another case that we're not going to go too deeply into because we just did a whole episode on it but just to bring it up for comparison to the other ones is obviously jelani day who went missing in bloomington illinois and his body was found in september in the river there's been a lot of controversy about that because like the one we just talked about jelani seemingly had his life together he was in college he was a former swimmer how is he just wind up dead in a river mysterious circumstances around his car what was he doing that day we'll go into like a brief summary of it but if you're more interested in learning a lot about that one go back a couple episodes because we did a whole episode on it but before we get into that a quick word from our sponsor elfster sounds crazy but christmas is sneaking up on us already and it's time to start holiday shopping But don't worry, we're here to tell you about Elfster, which will make your life much easier. Elfster's the number one secret Santa app in the world. It's totally free and makes gift giving so much easier. All you need to do is enter a date and your budget, and Elfster will take care of everything else. They even draw the names for you. It's a really good idea. We've even used this app before to do virtual gift exchanges with our internet friends that live all over the country. It's a huge time saver. It doesn't matter where your friends or family are, Elfster brings everything together for you. You can also use Elfster to make wish lists, almost like personal Christmas gift registries. You can add gifts directly from your favorite brands, including Amazon, Etsy, Fanatics, Nordstrom, Sephora, and Zappos. You could share the wish list among your family and friends, and everyone will get the gift they really want this year. More than 17 million people trust Elfster. It's the easiest way to shop from curated gift guides this Christmas. Download the Elfster app today or go to elfster.com to participate. Happy holidays! So yeah, there's a really good 
article by Atlanta Daily World, and they've got a good summary of his case. It said, Day was last seen alive on August 24. Days later, his car was found in Peru, Illinois. Nearly a full month later, his body was discovered floating through the Illinois River. Ultimately, the LaSalle County Coroner determined that Jelani's body displayed no signs of altercations, injury, gunfire, drug intoxication, injury, or assault. Jelani's family feel that the autopsy was, quote, an insult. His mother, Carmen, uh, spoke to the news and said, Jelani was an avid swimmer and an avid swimmer doesn't drown himself. Jelani didn't have depression or mental issues. They, those are indicative of someone that had suicidal thoughts. That not That's not what my son had. So that's, I, I feel like Jelani's case has some parallels to Dakota James. Um, I guess with the thing with Jelani is that they've done, I think they've done three autopsies now and they have just recovered his phone. Um, there's a private investigator, he said, with respect to his location, his movement, who he was communicating with, the content of those communications, I really think that if we can find his phone, digital forensics will, will advance this investigation in a major way. So I feel like the difference between the two cases is that maybe we'll be able to find out more about what actually really happened to Jelani, if it was an accidental drowning or if there was more like the family is you know, insinuating. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be an ongoing case for a while. I'm very interested to see what they will find on his phone. Like I feel like that has to have a lot of answers, maybe not answers, but would definitely point investigators in a better direction of what happened because i mean he's younger like people my age younger like we're always on our fucking phones every second every minute like you could figure out what the fuck i'm doing all the time um so i feel like that'll have a lot of answers and then they also since we've recorded last episode they released a lot of emails and internal documents regarding the investigation and it shows that they swabbed his car for evidence, like on the steering wheel, like looking for like fingerprints or DNA or anything like that to see if anyone else was driving the car. But they also um, found like a half smoked blunt and he was at the dispensary that morning. So yeah, you don't know if it was like a bad reaction to whatever he smoked or if like something happened with that. But it does seem like if there's a half smoked blunt in the car that he was probably smoking after he went to the dispensary. Yeah. I mean, maybe not, but. You could wonder that, but I think, like you were saying, we'll hopefully get some more answers eventually now that they have his phone. Yeah, I know we said in the other episode about him that, you know, we would love to know more about what he was doing, so hopefully we'll be able to find out, you know. I'd love to know where they found the phone. I feel like I haven't seen... I feel like they found it on the side of the road. Let me just look it up. I remember reading the Facebook. Oh, maybe. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, so it does say... They don't know exactly where it's found, but according to Jelani's mother, the phone was found on the side of the interstate in Bloomington. A man stopped to retrieve a mattress that had fallen off his vehicle and he found it on the side of the road. The man took the phone, which was described as shattered, to Walmart and turned it in for cash. The man was paid $80 for the phone on October 17. I wonder how they even discovered it was Jelani's. That's so crazy. I don't know. It's such a crazy story i I wonder if they like i wonder who checks the phones that you sell at walmart (laughs) very weird and i wonder how far away it was from where his car was actually found like jelani's has a lot of mystery to it where i'm still like not totally certain that it was probably an accident but i'm still 50 50 on it because there's still just like the weird questions of the car the license plate missing now his phone was found on the side of the road like, I wouldn't be shocked with either determination. No, me either. I think that could be either. I have to wait and see what happens. Um. So another one that we're going to talk about is another Dakota. What are the chances? Mm-hmm. Um. This one happened only last month. 
So it's very recent. Dakota Bingham, he was 20 years old, and he was last seen at Noel's Kitchen in Beer Hall on Main Street in the Five Points area of Nashville on Sunday, October 10th, 2021. He left the bar around 11.15 and told his friends he was planning to ride a scooter back to his apartment. Koda was captured on CCTV footage. He got on the scooter for a short amount of time. He then got off and walked. He was then seen at the TA truck stop on North First Street around midnight. Investigators said this is the last area and time his phone was detected. Dakota's friends say he ordered a lift at around 11.30 p.m., but he never got into the ride. Police announced on October 13th that they would be searching the Cumberland River for Dakota. The CCTV footage allegedly showed him in the river struggling to swim. So it was like footage from one of the nearby businesses that had the river in view. I guess they they saw him struggling to swim in the river, which I feel like must be kind of hard to see on shitty CCTV, but... Yeah. But that was a stroke of luck, I guess. So shortly after the police began their search, a family member of Dakota's announced that he had been found deceased. So a family member named Zachariah said in a Facebook post, My heart is heavy for the loss of my little cousin, Dakota Bingham. They have found a body and are returning him home from Nashville to California. Please pray for strength and justice for his family. But then the rest of his family quickly refuted that statement. Another family member named Jennifer said, Update that I do not want to post. There is apparent footage of Dakota somehow getting into the Cumberland River and struggling to stay afloat. He went under and did not resurface. This is info we got from the detective on the case. No one that knows him has seen this footage. We are going solely off of what the detective told us. They are supposedly searching for his body tomorrow. So I think it kind of seems like the Zachariah heard that he was in the river struggling to swim and probably just assumed yeah. the worst. Just, I think, whereas, you know, yeah, misconstrued information, maybe. Yeah, whereas other family members were kind of holding on hope. Like, it was never, it wasn't officially announced at that time that he'd been found deceased. But I don't think Sakurai was necessarily wrong for assuming that. No. <laughs> if I heard that, I'd be like, oh, shit. Yeah, but yeah. you can't blame the rest of the family for staying hopeful either, so. On Friday, October 15th, Dakota's body was found in the Cumberland River. His body had floated over 10 miles from where he was last seen. According to officials, no foul play is suspected, and the coroner does not plan on further examining the body, which is interesting. Mm. They said it appears he left the bar on Main Street, walked down basically to the river, and no one else was around when he went in the river. And by all indications, for reasons unknown, he decided and chose to go into the river. And that was um, Cold Case and Homicide Department Detective Chuck Ruzke who said that. I followed this case quite closely and I do feel in this one it was just a case of being really drunk. Like you can see him on the CCTV, he's kind of stumbling down the street and there was also footage of him going into some type of business and I'm pretty sure he stole like a bright orange vest. I was going to say that was this case, right? Yeah, he, that like, was stole this case. A vest for some reason. And he's shown on CCTV like with this vest on. Like he obviously thought it was funny or you know, for yeah. whatever reason. So I feel like he probably was really drunk and just either misstepped somehow into the river, maybe was peeing into the river. Yeah, I feel like this one's pretty obviously an accident. Yeah, I agree. I guess because there's so much CCTV, which is, you know, at least good for the family. At least they know exactly what happened to him and there's no questions and no second guessing. Yeah, like I was saying before, like what are the chances that they got him on CCTV in the river struggling to swim? Like, yeah. If some of these other family members kind of had evidence like that, then maybe, and especially just like him being really drunk leading up to that, 
maybe that would give them some more closure, but who knows? Very sad. Yeah. And then next, we're going to talk about Brendan Santo. So Brendan is the case where he is, at the time of recording, still missing. If there are any updates um, in between now and when the episode is released, we'll put a clip in. But as of November 18, he's still missing. Brendan Santo is an 18-year-old guy. He was visiting friends at Michigan State University, which is MSU, on Friday, October 29. As a kind of just an aside note, it's interesting that two out of the six have happened on Halloween or around Halloween. Because yeah, people like drink more yeah like lots of parties and i guess it's probably getting a bit colder in most areas too which might contribute yeah and people are generally more like rambunctious in general on halloween like out in the streets like more people go out so more chances for arguments and drinking so brendan was last seen leaving yakely hall shortly before midnight and his friends have said that he may have been headed to the brody neighborhood that was around a half mile walk from where he was last seen I'm pretty sure he left on foot because I've seen reports that his car was found, you know, the following day, still parked where he'd left it. So he went missing October 29. On November 1, MSU police issued this statement. MSU police and public safety continues to search for missing Grand Valley State University student Brendan Santo. Missing for over a week, Santo was last seen on Friday, October 29, just before midnight in the area of Yakely Hall. The effort to find Santo has included searches by foot, drone, helicopter and boat and has utilised canine units, divers and civilian volunteers. The investigation has used advanced techniques to review cellular, smartphone and GPS data. Investigators continue to review and follow up on tips as they are received. The department today is expanding its partnership consisting of local, state and federal agencies to assist with the investigation moving forward. So it goes into detail, but basically there's a lot of different kind of law enforcement units that are involved with the search for him. And they said, we'll continue our tireless search and investigation and we will do everything we can to bring Brendan home. So the search for Brendan was kind of has been focused more so on the Red Cedar River that flows through two miles of campus and it's quite close to where Brendan was last seen. But police have also said they continue to investigate other possibilities. I looked up the Red Cedar River just to kind of see the, you know, what it was like. It's approximately 51 miles long um, and it's a familiar campus landmark at the university. The river is featured in the first line of their fight song and they, you know, there's often students sitting along the river studying, doing whatever they do. You know, sometimes people kayak and canoe down the river and during the floods, the river forms a standing wave at the campus dam that the teenagers or, you know, students can surf on. That seems kind of like a landmark in a way. Yeah, yeah. In the winter, the river does freeze over and students walk or play on the ice despite the danger. So I don't, I just, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been cold enough to be frozen yet, but it would have probably mm, still been so. quite cold. Yeah. So police have said that everyone who last had contact with Brendan has been interviewed. CCTV footage and other footage has been reviewed. They haven't recovered his phone, and as of today, they still haven't because we'll go into that in a minute, but it's shown no activity. And the police have said, we are confident that we have obtained the available information from his digital footprint. On November 8, the FBI joined the search for Brendan. And as of November 18 today, Brendan is still missing. Just yesterday, the Michigan State University Police and Public Safety Office released some new photos of Brendan and personal items that he may have had on him that they haven't recovered. There's photos of a necklace, keys, an iPhone case, and his specific Converse shoes. So it's just like a black iPhone case. There's nothing really, you know, crazy about it. It's a set of keys, gold necklace with a cross, and then the shoes are white Converse. They've got like a heart kind of peeking out from 
the, I guess, soul of the shoe. They're quite distinctive shoes. Yeah, they're like definitely special edition type yeah. thing, I bet. So we've also learned that, unfortunately, the CCTV at Yakely Hall where Brendan was last seen was not working. Um, officials, of course. I know, this is so weird to me. Officials said the chips in the cameras had to be removed per the federal government earlier in this summer because they were banned. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they were banned or what. I don't know what the deal was. But anyway, they they have no footage of him actually leaving or you know the direction he was heading. It seems annoying. Yeah. So Brendan was last seen wearing grey gray sweatpants, a black t shirt, a black baseball hat, and white Converse high top shoes. He's five foot ten and weighs one hundred and sixty pounds. Anyone who has seen him or has knowledge of his whereabouts is asked to contact the Michigan University Police. Um, and we'll put the number. Now we've got a blog for Brendan, so the numbers on the blog. You can see the photos of his, um, you know, items and the area where he went missing and there's some videos of the river on there too. So I mean, hopefully by the time this comes out we'll have an update. I feel, I don't know, uh, there's probably not enough. I feel like, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I feel like there's not enough info yet to mm. really even have a theory. I have seen it suggested in a few places that we get sent Brennan's case a lot for people who want us to cover. It seems like he's got a big kind of support unit looking for him. but And I have seen some... People suggest that they are looking into this, that maybe it was an abduction or like he had an altercation and it was covered up. But, you know, I have it could absolutely be that. In, the, in this case, I'm not so sure he went into the river. It's probably like I'm sure the probability is quite high, but I feel like this is one of the cases where it could really be a number of things that have happened to him. Yeah, until they release more or figure out more of what he did that night. It's hard to say what happened at all. I think there was some, um, like, I'm just going to see if I can find it, like some crazy stuff that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think also something that happened that weekend is that there was a big MSU game and that a lot of people kind of went out and caused a lot of damage. Um, that was the, It was the next day, on well, the 30th. So it says there was 57 calls for service, including fires throughout the city in gridlock traffic. And, they, you know, so there was like a lot of things going on. Um, and I've seen people maybe like there's photos of people sitting on couches that they've lit on fire. And it just seems like it was a bit of a crazy weekend in the area. Yeah. So like Halloween on top of a big game. sporting event where people yeah. are very dedicated fans. Definitely seems like a rambunctious weekend of like, trouble. Maybe he said the wrong thing to someone who, you know, King hit him and he yeah. hit his head. Like, you know, there's, there's a multitude of possibilities. Um, yeah. Hopefully we'll find out more about him and hopefully he's found safe soon. Yes. Yeah, so if we get an update by the time this episode comes out, I'll put a clip with the update right here. So whatever is most current, I'll put a clip of it here. If not, I'll just take this part out. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, make sure to check the blog because we've been keeping the blog updated um, with anything that happens in case he's not found by the time this airs. That's all the cases for the men in water that we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, next one, we're going to talk about more so the idea and kind of like the story behind the smiley face killer, which in my opinion, it's kind of like an urban legend still at this point. Yeah. Like some people definitely think it's true, but it's kind of just like an idea of how this could all be happening. So we're going to talk more about that one next time and then maybe just like a few other cases and kind of how this all connects. But we did briefly want to talk about um, a big case right now that a lot of people are into. It's missing, well, no longer missing, but it was missing Noah in Amber Clare. Literally just found hours ago, right before we started recording. So for once, it was good timing yeah. for us. 
There's not a ton of information about it, but I guess that's kind of why it can be confusing to people, too. So we'll just briefly go over that one because people wanted us to. Their abductions crossed state lines. Three-year-old Noah Claire kidnapped in Tennessee. Just bring, bring my kid home, please. Bring him home. I miss him. And Noah, mommy loves you so much. 16-year-old Amber Claire abducted in Kentucky. Police say they could be on the way to Michigan with this man. He is a dangerous man. and the, His mental state right now is not a place where you need to have children. According to Michigan State Police, 32-year-old Jacob Clare kidnapped the children and may be headed to the Harbor Spring area in northern Michigan. He is the father of Noah and the uncle of Amber. The pair were reported missing on November 7th. He picked up Amber sometime Friday night in the middle of the night. We had a temporary custody um, plan in place. It was, um, he got Noah every other weekend, Friday at 6 to Sunday at 6 p.m. It was his scheduled time to have Noah, and then he just never brought Noah home. Noah Claire, who was three years old, and he was from Gallatin, Tennessee, and then his cousin, Amber Claire, who was 16, she was from Beaver Dam, Kentucky. So, I mean, they're close to each other. They both went missing around November 5th, and they were thought to be in the company of Jacob Jake Claire. So this is where people get confused a little. So Jake Claire is Noah Claire's father, but he's Amber Claire's uncle, oh, her paternal uncle. uncle. Yeah. So it seems like he's probably Amber's father's brother or something like that. I feel like at this point so in these cases, my eyes just start to glaze over because I'm like, I just cannot picture this. Like, I get it now, but, you know, I just there's so yeah. many different kind of branches of the family tree. Yeah, I've, I've answered this so many times. Like, some people, because <laughs> more information comes out where people are like, wait, isn't that his daughter? Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's her. That's the uncle. Because, people, you know, they all have the same last name. And, and he, kind Jacob of does have a daughter, too, who I think is a little tiny bit yeah. older than Amber. Or maybe younger. Anyway, she's close to Amber's age. But yeah, so he also has another daughter that's not mentioned too much. So it just it gets confusing. But to be clear, Noah and Amber are cousins. Jake, the abductor, is Noah's father and Amber's uncle. So that's that. <laughs> yeah. That's so <laughs> no, I mean, Jake also didn't have custody of Noah. He had visitation. So that's kind of where this all turns into an abduction and all that comes into play. He didn't return Jake from visitation. Um, yeah, Noah, sorry. He didn't return Noah from visitation, I think, is when this all kind of happened. Yeah, so he was meant to bring Noah back to the mom, and that never happened. So then the mom reported Noah missing. Um, so leading up to the kidnapping abduction, Jake sold his truck that he had, and he was seen on camera purchasing a used Subaru. I think it's Legacy. Some places said Outback, but I think in the end it was a legacy. Mm -hmm. He was seen putting Noah into the car with no car seat just before the disappearance happened. So that's pretty damning evidence. Once he was reported missing, the Gallatin police put out a missing person kind of bulletin. There was no Amber Alert still. But the missing person thing, it says, the Gallatin Police Department needs assistance in locating Jacob Clare, white male who is the suspect in a missing person slash runaway case from Beaver Dam Police Department in Ohio County, Kentucky. It's believed that Jacob left sometime late on November 5th, 2021, or early morning, November 6th, 2021. 
with his niece Amber Claire, 16-year-old white female. Jacob was en route to Gallatin to drop off his son, Noah, with family, but has not shown up. He was last seen driving a Subaru out back, like pictured below. But like I said, I think in the end it was a legacy. They look similar, so. (laughs) As you probably noticed, it said also a runaway situation. What actually ended up coming out was that Amber's family had found inappropriate messages between Jake and 16-year-old Amber. So, yes, uncle, inappropriate text messages with his teenage niece. And it also came out that Amber kind of left notes for her family before she technically ran away with Jake. He's groomed, yeah. There is a comment from someone who kind of seems to know the situation. I'm not sure if they're a family member or someone close to them, but someone questioned, like, does anyone in your family know why he just took off with the two kids? It's very odd. So this is how the information about the incestuous relationship came out. Um, The person said, the mother of the 16-year-old found some text messages between Jake and Amber. They suspect something was going on. We think he'd been grooming her so she would run away, and then she would be there to help take care of Noah. They're living off the grid somewhere. That's why we need to share on Facebook daily. Someone will see them. Funny, because that did end up being what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then another person who seems to know what's going on, different person then the other one said in a comment, um, someone asked a question and they said, no, that isn't possible. The girl in the picture he is not supposed to have at all or even be in contact with because of past reasons. She's been sneaking out, meeting him and texting him, then made this plan to run off together. And now they can't be found. On our forum, there was a member of ours called Shelly. Um, she posted a summary of a live video that had been hosted by Amber's maternal uncles. So this is another uncle, not the creepy one. This is another uncle. He gave a ton of information about the, about the case, and this all came from the family. So this isn't kind of speculation. This is what the family was saying. Um, so, yeah, Jacob lived with Amber's family. He was kicked out due to his odd behavior. Um, Jacob had also tried to manipulate Amber's sister in the same way and basically shunned her when she didn't kind of reciprocate. So this seems to be a developing pattern for him. Amber has epilepsy, I believe, and she was having regular seizures that have become more severe in recent months. And the family is speculating that this was due to the stress of not being able to see Jacob because she was heartbroken when he got kicked out. Amber was in the midst of a diagnosis process when she left and she didn't take her medication with her. She left two letters saying goodbye, one to her sister and one to the rest of her family. She made note how much time she'd been spending purposely with the family in the weeks before she disappeared. Like this wasn't a spur of the moment thing. They both knew that this was going to happen. We'll go into detail about the letter in a minute. Um, Messages were also found via Facebook Messenger indicating that she and Jacob were in fact having a romantic relationship. Jacob's own biological daughter, um, she doesn't have the same mother as Noah and she's, you know, a similar age to Amber, stopped communicating with him because he was displaying these same inappropriate behaviours with her as he was with her cousin. So his own biological daughter, you know, a niece is bad enough, but he's, it's gross. Jacob, um, yeah, like we said, had tried fighting for more custody with Noah. He'd been denied each time due to his inability to provide a stable household. His pattern had basically been to mooch off women not holding a job for long or having his own place. There are definitely indications at the time that they planned to live off the grid and we just they wanted the family wanted everyone to keep sharing their names and faces and keep an eye out at rest stops, gas stations, grocery stores and campgrounds because at this point they could be anywhere. 
So in terms of the letter, um, Jamie Bravada, who I think is Amber's mother, said that there was a note and that said, I woke up, she wrote, I woke up the rest of the kids screaming, where is Amber? She's gone. And then everyone started flipping out. This is not like her. The note, it's pretty long. Um, we have pictures of it posted on like her blog, on Instagram, whatever. So if you want to read the full thing, just go there and you can read it. I'm not going to read out the whole thing now because most of it's just fluff kind of like. Like, I'll read the start of it. It says... Very neat handwritten note. Like, it looks... You know, yeah, very small. It's yeah. a lot of words. Like, yeah. It's a hot, entire so it says, page of words. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're... <laughs> it says, to Anna, my best friend who's always been here for me, who stood by my side, while no one else has, I'm going to miss you the most. I'm sorry I left you here to go through everything alone. Just know you need to lean on someone else now that I'm gone. You'll end up like me if you don't. I want you to stay strong during all of this and just know I'll be safe. So it goes on like that. It doesn't really give any information or mention Jake or her running away or anything. It's more of just like, I want you to have all of my things and whatever you don't want, give to mom and she can give them to someone. Just know I'm safe and be strong and keep doing good in school. Kind of like a pep talk more so. She doesn't really mention Jake, but she kind of does. She says something like, I'm leaving you a box that uncle jake gave it it has feathers in it it's just like it's hard to read a little bit it says it has feathers in it these really cool rocks and a bag of his cologne in it so like obviously the bag of his cologne seems to kind of just further hint at the relationship aspect of it because you know i remember as a teen you'd spray like your boyfriend's cologne on something and you'd smell it and think of them and just like be stupid and be like oh my god like their smell so that just kind of reminded me of that and seemed pretty cringe of him to give to her. Um, we had a few messages when we posted the note about people asking if it was a suicide note because I don't know if it was like there's a few different notes floating around, but in one note she wrote, if you miss me, look to the stars. So people are like, is this a suicide oh, yeah. note? Where they're kind of planning to take their own lives. It's right, it's right here. It says, if you ever get lonely and miss me, just look up at the stars. I'll always be looking back. Stay strong. Don't yeah. collapse. I feel like that's more so of her just being like, I'll be out there and also looking at the stars. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it, I didn't get suicide vibes from it. I'd love to know if he helped her write this or something. I don't know. It is, it's like well written, but also you can very tell cliche. A lot and of, it's like a 16 year old journal entry. But she ends it with, don't show anyone this letter. Well, she, it's online, so. <laughs> Don't show anyone this letter. I want it to be just for you. That way you have a letter just between us to hold close to your heart. I love you, Anna, and I always will. I'll always be thinking of you too. Stay safe. XOXO, Amber. So that's the vibe of the letter anyways. There wasn't anything like, I'm running away to be with Jake because I love him. It was just kind of like a pep talk. Yeah. The TBI became involved in the case and... They started posting kind of like the same information that they're missing, what they were last wearing, things like that. So word was kind of getting out a bit more about them missing. I've always noticed like they don't always include Amber in it. And I think it's because she was technically a runaway, which yeah. in my opinion is stupid. But a lot of the posts were like missing Noah child, endangered child, missing Noah. And she wasn't really mentioned all the time. We get tons of messages about why she wasn't mentioned and i think it's just because essentially according to law enforcement and because of the notes she went willingly so yeah but a lot of people don't agree with that i don't really agree with that either amber alerts and things like that are very strict with like yeah. the rules there's a process so. yeah on the 
police, they released kind of like a detailed timeline of what they knew at the time. A lot of it we already talked about, but if you do want to read the timeline, it'll be on our blog. But it's just the same thing, like how he was supposed to drop off the kids, when they were last seen, what they were last wearing, finding the notes, um, the mom saying that she woke up and couldn't find her, just all that stuff again. This has been a big kind of point of contention is finally on November 16th, they put out an Amber Alert. Two days ago. I don't, yeah, so <laughs> literally two days ago. Days, 10 or 11 days, they, yeah, took them 10 or 11 days to issue an Amber Alert. And like we were just saying, like, I know Amber Alerts are very strict, even though this did have all the criteria of having a missing kid, like you have a suspect, you have a car. I'm guessing the issue, even though I feel it shouldn't have been an issue, is that he is his father. Funny, because I have seen tons of Amber Alerts for kind of non-custodial parent abduction. I was just thinking that too. Yeah, so I don't know what, I don't know, I don't know why why there was a holdup. Because, it, like, I agree, it does seem to fit the criteria of an Amber Alert straight away. But once the Amber Alert went out, people in Arizona started to get the alert because um, a license plate reader had picked up that their car was driving on an interstate in Arizona. And it actually got a picture of the car. And originally the car had like all these bumper stickers on it, which at first I thought he must have put on the car and that there was a ton of stupid ones like Jack Skellington. No offense to anyone who likes Jack Skellington or stuff like that, but it was just random stuff. But I'm like, if you bought it like a week before, maybe they were just on the car already. But that's irrelevant, I guess. But anyway, so all the bumper stickers were taken off the car. Despite the Arizona sightings on the same day the Amber Alert went out, I think like the next day they found the car had been impounded in San Clemente, California. And the car had allegedly been impounded there for like five days before anyone really noticed. So then they put out pictures of the car and it's like a mess. Like it looks like a hoarder lives in this car. There's so much trash. Out up to the roof in the in the trunk like it's, yeah. Since I learned from Cleo Smith not zooming in on the background, I zoomed in on everything I could possibly see. Really, most of it's just random trash or, like, blankets. But they do have this weird MRE, like, instant eat-type survivalist food that's, like, long-lasting in there. So, obviously, that's not a great sign. It shows that they're maybe planning on living off the grid or something. I did see someone wrote, too, like, there's when you look in the trunk, there's, like, I think you said it's an instant milk box and some other things. Yeah. And someone said, apparently, which I can't really see it, but I'm not familiar with the brands and everything, that there's a, a, a cell phone box in there. So that kind of implied that he had a burner phone. Yeah, it's kind of hard to – it's like you can see all the trash, but it's hard to tell what some of it is. Yeah. Like, like, it looks familiar, but I can't place it. Yeah. So then police put out a thing that they had the car. So everyone in California kind of knew how to be kind of knew to be on high alert. A lot of people were worried, like, were they going to try to get to Mexico from there? More as the news got around, like more people got invested in it. So, you know, more people are poking around on his social media. Some of his posts came out. And this part's always like very interesting to me of like people's social media posts when you could see them. Because I feel like it does give you a good vibe for the person. And not that you need me to tell you this after all of this that's already happened, but he's friggin' weird. Um, someone like, said in, I think they sent a message to the Instagram saying that his posts reminded them of Matthew Coleman, the man who murdered yes. his two kids. Yeah, so it's, I, I also agree with that. Yeah, I thought I was thinking the same thing. Like, I'm not going to, like, read all of them just for time's sake, but he's, like, posting in Christ Consciousness, the rebirth groups, and he was also in like empath and meditating groups about trying to like astral projection type stuff and hypnotizing, things like that. 
this one post he wrote in the Christ Consciousness, the Rebirth group. So weird and have never had this happen before, but is anyone else's teeth vibrating or feeling like they're buzzing? Just started about a half an hour ago. Happens to me all the time. (laughs) Yeah, that happens to me all the time when I astral project. (laughs) But he did also make a lot of posts kind of about like protecting children and also posts about how custody stuff. One post from late September, he wrote, since November, I've had my son kept for me and I've spent thousands of dollars on attorneys. I'm to the point where I feel like surrendering is my only option. I felt like I'm in a movie set for the past few years. And then a comment on that post from him again said, it also makes me wonder if it's time to do things that you don't want to do that would go against society's rules. But yet, you know, in your heart, it'd be coming from a place of pure love, which seems to be like abducting his child. Um, Another post that was from October 9th says, the only thing that makes sense to me is if something is around the corner that I'm needed for that divine purpose for the greater good. And that is me needing to let go of what I've always known as the daddy in me. So again, he's made posts asking things like single mothers and single fathers. What's co-parenting in your opinion? Just out of curiosity. Moms, how much time should the dad have when they are an amazing dad and your child wants to spend time with them? Do you run things by the other parent or just make decisions solely and expect the other parent to deal with it? And he goes on and on like that for like three more paragraphs about the mean mom and amazing dad, the mom, mean mom's keeping the kid away, etc. But yeah, we screenshot a bunch of his posts that we'll put on the blog. Definitely worth checking out. Um, Oh, yeah. And he also had made a GoFundMe. (laughs) Why? I don't know. But it's from he started posting around November of last year. And the GoFundMe title is Loving Dad on a Mission to Establish Equal Rights, organized by Jake Clare. I don't know why you need money to do that, but okay. I was just going to say, one of his posts that I found kind of indicative of his creepiness is he posted on like, it must be like a local neighborhood group called the Rough River Lake Exchange. He wrote, if this isn't allowed, I apologize ahead of time. So this morning I was at McDaniel's gas station and there was a beautiful woman getting ham for Eggs Benedict. I'm kicking myself for not getting her name, but she had her daughter, so it didn't seem right of me. Silver car, maybe a Malibu. She was a little taller than average, sandy blonde hair, and I'm guessing her 40s. Hopefully, maybe she sees this. Help me out so my nephew can stop giving me crap about it. It's gross. That was a post that I read that made me like audibly in my office alone at work be like, oh Christ, oh, like really? Gosh. I hope he didn't find that woman because she possibly dodged a bullet by not getting <sighs> in contact with him. But then you're also going to be like, I didn't ask for her number because she was with her daughter. But you're going to abduct and groom your teenage mm. niece, dude? Okay. And a lot of his posts are just like about protecting our kids and like, this is the world our kids are growing up in. Like, we need to do something. It reminds me of the guy who abducted Cleo, Bratz DeLuca. Yes. How he made that fake post about, we have to protect our kids from these predators and sexting and these random men are asking my fake daughters for nudes. Like, all these people who are fucked up and like to hurt kids always have to preach about how they love kids how, like yeah, yeah. we get it life. you love kids but not in the right way that you should be loving kids so yeah he's got a lot of posts like that like i said we screenshot them i won't read them all but you get the vibe 
On November 17th, which is yesterday at the time of recording, the TBI released some photos that were taken in San Clemente on 11-11. So still, the pictures were taken like a week before they were actually released. I don't know how long police had them. I'm going to guess they only just recently found them after the car was discovered. I guess they wouldn't have known where to actually look. Like once they found the car, they probably yeah looked at all the CCTV and found them. So, yeah, it's crazy to think that these pictures were like a week ago and it shows them walking kind of like through a parking lot area. I think um, at the time, too, that someone in our group had actually, I don't know if they found it or they posted it, but they found the the area where the photos were taken. So they posted the map and, you know, like you can actually see it looks like it might be dark in the photo, but you can see like some kind of landscaping and different things. So from that, they found where they were mapped it out for us and we learned that they could have. Like they were only a one day's walk from the Mexican border. So everyone kind of started to speculate that's maybe what they, their plan was. They had these big, massive packs on their back. Maybe they were planning to kind of go overland to Mexico, which was a bit Yeah, terrifying. it looks like they were in for like a long haul. Like you just yeah. said, they're wearing big backpacks, um, look like they're ready to go for a trek. They've so got, yeah, a lot of people yeah. are speculating that they were going to go to the border but people who live in the area also messaged us to say that I guess there's like a train or like an Amtrak that it's you could take and it's only like a half hour ride that gets you much closer to the border, but they would still have to walk a bit. You know, we're all still speculating on this. And it's we always say it's like it's funny, but not funny. But of course, today I'm like in a rabbit hole of screenshotting all of Jake's posts on social media while I'm at work. And like <laughs> I'm just in this deep hole of reading his posts and stuff. And then I'm finally like all right, let me get off like my phone and do stuff for my actual job that I should be doing right now. And as soon as I got off my phone, they found them. <laughs> and so I posted it like a half hour late, but eventually I did get around to looking at my phone again after tons of you had messaged me that they found them. So thank you for that. But they they found them, shockingly. after, And it's crazy because the pictures that were taken were like a week ago. So they were still in the area this whole time. I just looked it up. They were only between six and seven miles-ish. And it looks like they actually went north. So they the car was found in San Clemente and they were found in Dana Point, which is an 11-minute drive, seven miles north. So, uh, you know, I don't know what what their plan was. I'm very curious as to was. what the plan was. Yeah. I'm glad it didn't work out, obviously, but I'd love to know what the plan was or if they just didn't really have one. Info from... The news, News Channel 5, they said the three were located in Dana Point, California, on Thursday at 8.50 a.m. local time after a concerned resident reported a young boy matching Noah's description to law enforcement. Jacob Clare is facing kidnapping charges for both kids. So not a ton of info has come out about what actually happened yet besides that. Um, They said that they'll be releasing more information. The person who did spot them posted on social media about it she actually like took a picture of them and i think sent it to her friend and was like do you think this is them and like they've posted that picture since so we have that online too but it it, again just shows them kind of walking again but it's pretty cool that we know everyone shares this picture and then literally just a random person who saw the pictures saw them out in the street so sharing does work so always do that that's really it whatever updates there are the um guessing there'll be more updates i'll put in some clips here so you guys can have the most recent info police say this trampoline park in hermitage is where jacob claire parked overnight the subaru he was going to use to take his three-year-old son noah claire and a teenage family member all the way to california 
While Jacob Clare faces a string of charges stemming from his multi-state run from the law, we're learning more about what investigators say was his planning in the days leading up to it, including this Mount Juliet woman, Marissa Henson, who they say helped Clare do it. Henson was behind bars at the Sumner County Jail before bonding out just hours ago. And at her home today, no one else answered the door. Hello? According to an affidavit, it all started last month when Henson, who told investigators she was Claire's spiritual advisor, met Claire at the Opry Mills Mall and told her of his plans. Investigators say Henson then used her phone to search Facebook Marketplace, where they found for sale the Subaru that everyone would eventually be looking for. Henson even searches for the fastest route for Claire to take. Claire then left the Subaru overnight in this parking lot, according to investigators, before driving off the next day, eventually being caught in California. Henson later told investigators she was sorry she got involved, but it wasn't enough to keep prosecutors from charging her with felony criminal responsibility. We are following a breaking news alert tonight. Jacob Clare now faces new charges out of California. Haley Wilgus is at the WKRN.com alert desk with the details. Haley. Bob, we have just learned that Claire now faces two counts of felony sexual assault. These are new charges separate from the kidnapping charges he faces in relation to his three-year-old son and 16-year-old niece. The sheriff tells News 2 these crimes did occur in California, and Jacob Claire will be arraigned on those charges on Monday. Now, it's unclear how this new information could affect when Claire will be extradited back to Tennessee. Crazy outcome. I feel like lately there's been some... Uh, like quite a few cases where people have actually been found alive. Like we had Cleo and then there was an like a few Amber Alerts lately where people have been found alive. And I really didn't expect this to be the outcome. I either thought they would be in Mexico or there would be a, you know, horrific outcome. But it's yeah, I was really hoping they would find them as soon as possible, but I didn't expect them to be found so fast. No. Since it, it especially seems like the investigation was always kind of lagging behind. It was like a week behind, basically. So yeah. But I know it's like a big talking point, like I was saying before, about how they're considering Amber a runaway, which I don't know. I think there needs to be some new system for situations like this because, like, yeah, technically she ran away, but it's because her uncle who's been grooming her, some older man, her. convinced her. Yeah, like brainwashed yeah. her. So why doesn't she deserve an Amber alert? I think it, she 100 percent deserves an Amber alert. So I'm sure that'll be also Looked a topic yeah. discussed more so as this goes on but that's everything for this episode that we're going to talk about right yep that's it like i said next time we're going to talk more about kind of the men in water and the smiley face killer and all the theories behind that and whatever else is happening we'll talk about as always like i've said a billion times already all the pictures pictures of the letters the cctv pictures of all the missing guys everything is on our blog with the show notes if you want to check those out. Um, follow us on all the social media platforms or True Crime Society, especially Instagram has been popping lately. That's where we kind of post the updates fastest all throughout the day. We have our forum, which Olivia and I were just saying today. We know a lot of people get annoyed with the idea of the forum just because it's kind of something different to get used to. But a lot of the people on there, especially since it's more anonymous, post some great info that they found digging up on these cases. Like a lot of the stuff we found on Jake's social media came from there. Yeah. So if you really want to 
see some stuff that's probably not on Facebook or some deep dive stuff, definitely check out the forum. Even if you don't want to talk to anyone on it, it's definitely good for a read. Good rating. Mm-hmm. And leave us a review. If you haven't already, a good review, please, <laughs> if you like us. Mm-hmm. And share this on your Instagram story if you're willing to. That way we can spread the word about the podcast and get more listeners. And then maybe this can be our full-time job one day and I don't have to post that the Claire kids were found a half hour after it happened because I'm busy doing my real job. (laughs) One other thing too, just to add, we do have actually started a blog that is kind of a repository for all missing men in the water. So I'll add everyone who we've spoken about today and there's there's other cases on there too. So as this is probably likely to keep happening, we will keep updating it with these cases as they you know emerge so you can check that out if you want to learn more about the circumstances and stories of these missing and disappeared men all right well we will talk to you guys next time yeah bye